And I think we'll see this thing, a group of people who, are, who took for granted the ordinary means of grace, the ordinary um, commands of the Lord and, and ways of following the Lord for granted, and it cost the next generation their relationship with the Lord. One generation following, serving, loving the Lord, and the next didn't even know the Lord. And let that not be said of us. I want uh, us to look at, at some, uh, a significant amount of Scripture this morning, and honestly, this passage has been on my heart for uh, such a time as this. Uh, at the end of Joshua, starting in chapter 23, and we're going to look through Judges chapter 2. Uh, I've been considering these passages for over a month, and yet, I'll be honest with you, it's not going to be my most succinct sermon. It's not going to be my best points uh, that you've ever read. I just want us to sit in the narrative of what happened in the end of Joshua's life and at the beginning uh, of the next generation. And, and I think when we get to the end of this, it will kind of shock us. And then we need to consider, what, what about us? Will this happen to us? And it'll move us to prayer. It'll move us to fasting. It'll move us to faithful, faith-filled obedience in just the regular things as Christians, the regular things as members of this church, and even the regular things as a church. Not to strive to be that church that people think of when they think of successful church, but to be faithful, uh, to be healthy, to, for us to know the Lord, for the next generation to know the Lord and honestly, it's not going to come by making a New Year's resolution this morning as an individual Christian or as a church. It's going to come by faithfulness. It's going to come by discipline. Uh, it's going to come with, by the help of the Lord as the Lord helped so clearly even in, in this passage. And so in this sermon that I've titled Another Generation, if you're taking notes uh, you might note this in Joshua 23 and 24 that Israel knew and served the Lord. And I just want to read and, and just comment as we read through this narrative. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to grab it. I want you to be open to Joshua 23. If you don't have one, there should be one near you under your, your chair, or I'm sure it'll be on the screen behind me. But I encourage you to look in your own copy of God's Word to to underline, to mark, to take some notes as we walk through uh, this, this moment of history in Israel's history. Uh, at the end of Joshua, the, the people of Israel had uh, been chosen since the time of Abraham, um, which followed in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And during the life of Joseph, the people of Israel been taken to Egypt to be able to provide for themselves, and the Lord provided for them there, and yet uh, they stayed there many years and became slaves of the Egyptians when a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph arose and, and succumbed them to uh, slavery, and yet after some time, the Lord de desired to deliver them out of Egypt. And um, through the plagues, allowed them to leave. They were able to be delivered even in a greater way, even through the Red Sea, um, only to get on the other side of the Red Sea with freedom and begin to grumble and complain to the Lord. And so the Lord disciplined them, and they wandered in the wilderness, consider, for 40 years. Why 40 years? Uh, not because the Lord had it that 40 years would be a special um, number to discipline them, like it re he really meant it when he did 40 years. But 40 years for that generation that saw all the works of the Lord to pass away. 
It took 40 years of wandering in the wilderness for those who experienced God's hand delivering them from Egypt into uh, or onto the other side of the Red Sea to pass away. So there's one generation. Then Joshua, Moses dies. He too grumbled and complained. Uh, Moses dies and Joshua takes over. God is still sovereign. God is still in control. Even though Moses doesn't get to enter the promised land, the Lord is still faithful to his promises. He is known by his steadfast love. And Joshua takes over. He's challenged in the beginning of Joshua um, to be courageous, um, to not depart from the word of the Lord, either to the right or to the left. And he leads faithfully, obediently. He leads the people of God to um, go into the promised land and to conquer um, certain cities that the Lord leads them to conquer. Even to identify sin when it arises and causes, brings about defeat. To identify sin and to remove it from the camp. And... and as they gain some bit of freedom and enjoyment in the promised land, the Lord directs Joshua to divide the land among the people. And so there's a certain inheritance that the 12 tribes of Israel uh, are to inherit as Joshua divides the land. And that's what happens in chapter 13 through 22 up until the point that we get to our text in, in chapter 23. Joshua's divided the land, the people... Uh, have received it. Some of them are traveling to that land. And it says in chapter 23, verse 1, a long time afterward. This would be some 20 or 25 years after Joshua has taken over. <laughs> Mind you this, he took over at 90-ish. Uh, can you imagine at 90 taking over the, the nation of Israel, taking over a major leadership role uh, in the church. Just something to say that there, that there is something to age in the Lord's book uh, and, and guidance of leadership and wisdom. And so at about 90, a long time after he took over, when the Lord had given rest to Israel, again, chapter 23, verse 1, from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years. Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officials and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done. Who? All that the Lord your God. Wouldn't this be the moment for Joshua to say, You've seen all I've done for you these past two decades in my old age, well advanced in years, and yet still, look at what I was able to do over Moses. No, he, he knows who did these things. When they happened, it was abundantly clear it was the Lord doing these things, and he gives credit where credit is due. Uh, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to you, all these, uh, to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. That verse being reminiscent of Exodus 14.14 14, uh, where the Lord says to Moses, um, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Joshua remembers that, that the Lord is the one who fought. In verse 4, behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance, that is chapter 13 through 22, for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. That's the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. The Lord your God will push them back before you. So there was still work to be done in the promised land. And drive them out of your sight. He would do it. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. 
And so Joshua challenges them. Look in verse 6. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. Joshua urges the people at the end of his life, just as he was urged by the Lord uh, at the end of Moses' life, to be strong and courageous and to not depart from the word of the Lord, either to the right hand or to the left, to stay on that straight and narrow path, to not go above the line of God's word and not to go below the line of God's word. He urges them, therefore, be strong, very strong to do what? To keep and to do all that is written. But not only that, be very strong in verse 7, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. The problem, uh, as we'll see, is not the mixing of nations uh, in in friendship or even in marriage, but was the mixing of gods in the confines of marriage and friendship in those. Uh, Yes, they were actually to be set apart, to be a light for all of the other nations, inviting all other nations to come to worship the one true God, to repent of their sins and to come. They were to be a, a city on a hill, literally, Um, to be able to um, shine the light of the gospel, inviting all who would come, and yet they were not to mix with any who would not worship the Lord Himself, Yahweh, as God. We'll we'll see that detailed even more in, in the coming verses. But not only to be strong and to keep all the Word, not only that they would not mix with these other nations that worship other gods, But in verse 8, but you shall, what's the word? Cling. That you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Oh, that 2022, we would be known as clinging to the Lord in every way in desperation, in help, in prayer, clinging to the Lord and His Word, that we would be clingers. Uh, That we would know that if we don't cling to the Lord, there's no way that we would be able to keep the Word of the Lord. And, And if we're not clinging to the Lord here, it will be so much easier to mix over here, would it not? And so you you can see how these ordinary means of grace, these regular rhythms of faithful obedience that Joshua is giving on behalf of the Lord to the people of the Lord are are so important and necessary for them to move forward in in faithfulness. Well, it continues on, verse 9, "...for the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations." And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand. Why? Since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as He promised you. Just a great reminder for the people of Israel that they're not bigger, badder, stronger, better than any of these other nations. No, it's the Lord who does this. The stories that we read uh, are a reminder of that. Be very careful, he says again, therefore, to love the Lord your God. And here's a warning. Look in verse 12. For if you turn back and, what's the word? Cling. If you turn back and instead of clinging to the Lord, you cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, because remember, there was still work to be done, and you make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer essentially do what He's already done. 
He will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be, listen, a snare, a trap, a whip on your sides, and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. All words jumping ahead several thousand years that describe the effects of sin. A snare, a trap, a whip, and a thorn in the flesh. We ought to consider that. If we don't follow clinging to the Lord and instead cling to the world as God's people, those, those things will become a snare, a trap, a whip, and a thorn. And Joshua says in verse 14, and now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word, not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But, verse 15, just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, (laughs) repeating it three times in three different ways, He says, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Here is a charge and a warning. A charge to move forward doing what the Lord had commanded them to do decade after decade, generation after generation, clinging to the Lord, not departing from his word to the left or to the right holding fast to Him, not mixing with the world, not not loving the things of this world, uh, not loving the things of this flesh, not loving things of the, the temporary life, but loving the things of the Lord, loving the things of eternity, loving uh, God's people, loving God's Word. You have both a charge and a warning there. And then once again, Joshua, in in chapter 24, he does something very similar. Maybe uh, the next day, maybe uh, that same day, at at some point, because he's uh, old, well advanced in years, his his time is coming. He, He knows he doesn't have much left, and so he has these last words. It says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, And he summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And different from Joshua being inspired by the Holy Spirit to to prophetically charge and command God's people, here he's He's saying, these are the very words of God. God has given me these words, and I'm speaking them to you verbatim. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Yahweh. And that's why when you read the next um, dozen verses or so, from um, chapter 24 and verse 1, 1 all the way through 13, It's as if the Lord is speaking because the Lord has spoken. And you see the Lord saying, I have done this. I have done this. And the Lord recounts all, actually not all, that He has done. If He listed all that He had done for the people up to that point, as another writer in God's Word says, we would not have pages or volumes to be able to hold 
all that the Lord has done. And yet the Lord recounts several important things. He mentions the choosing of Abraham, the, the ordaining of Isaac, Jacob, Joseph in Egypt, the deliverance of God, God's people from, from Egypt into the promised land by the plagues, by the Red Sea. Um, he mentions the, the protecting and providing for the people in the wilderness. Um, he mentions giving over, even up to that point, um, all of the inhabitants of the promised land that he gave over to them and providing for them in a land which they had not labored and cities which they had not built that they would dwell in. And at the end of verse 13, you eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. And so the Lord spends a dozen or so verses reminding him of just some of all that he had done for them. And as Graham challenged us this morning so well, it's important for us to pause and remember, Christian, to remember Fields Church, all that the Lord has done for us over these past 10 years, to be reminded of his grace and his mercy, his protection and his provision, and to be able to trust him for the next 10 years, to be able to trust him for the next 100 years, at least so that the next generation would be raised up to know the Lord and to know His Word in that. The Lord thought it important enough to use His words to simply remind them of all that He had done. And if the Lord thought it was important enough to remind His people, ought we, His people, think it important enough to regularly remind ourselves of all that the Lord has done for us so that we might move forward trusting Him even better. And, and in light of this historical retelling of all that the Lord had done, in uh, verse 14, it says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Just a, a bit of context there. What, what Joshua is talking about is that before Abraham was Terah, his father. And Terah was chosen from uh, on the other side of the Euphrates and worshipped and served false gods. And yet Abram was chosen from Terah to be the founder of the nation of Israel who would worship the one true and living God. And yet even when this nation was arising, they were in Egypt and worshiping false gods there as well. And Joshua is charging them, based on all that the Lord has done for them in the, in the past decades, to choose whom they are going to serve. Either the gods of their forefathers, of which Terah worshipped, the gods that they had back in Egypt, of which many times they wanted to go back to, or the one true God who's delivered them, provided for them, protected them, and given them, promised them, and given them all that he has promised. Who would they, who would they choose? Who would they serve? Who would they know and follow? And in verse 15 it says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, and to serve the Lord alone, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Joshua says in closing, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, I'm not going back. I'm not going back to where we came from, either in the beginning or in the middle. I'm serving the Lord. I'm clinging to the Lord. I'm letting go of all of the gods of this world. I'm letting go of all that the world is offering me. And I'm clinging to the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord. I know what He's done. I just repeated it back to you, thus says the Lord. I know what He's done. What have all of the other gods of the world done for me? Nothing, He says. 
I will serve the Lord. To which the people answer in verse 16, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord, that we should forsake Yahweh to serve other little g gods. For it is the Lord, Yahweh, our God, who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. We will serve the Lord. Uh, They knew that This was, in their heart and mind, the only way to move forward. They had been reminded. They had been charged. And they stepped forward in in faithfulness. Uh, Maybe not fully understanding what all of that would look like without Joshua at the helm and and, and having to do what they said. But they moved forward in, in faithfulness, at least with a commitment. But Joshua says in verse 19, Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. What does a holy God need service from an unholy people? Joshua says He doesn't need you. And in fact, you can't serve Him. It's impossible for you to serve Him perfectly. Joshua's warning them that they are going to need the Lord's help in stepping out in faith and serving Him in that way. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Now, that could be a dangerous verse taken out of context, could it not? Uh, He does... He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. What transgressions and sins is Joshua talking about here? The transgression and sin of choosing to serve and worship multiple gods. Uh, The choosing to have the gods of the past as well as the God. If that's how they're going to live, then in the end, without repentance of the sin of worshiping false idols and serving other gods, there will be no forgiveness. There will be judgment in the end. But for those who repent of their false worship, of of idols of the, the nations around them and the gods around them, for those who do not repent, there will not be forgiveness. Instead, there will be the opposite. There will be judgment. And Joshua's warning them, don't just say it. Don't just say you're a Christian. Don't just say you want to follow God because in the end you will be judged. Repent of your sins. Repent of your false worship. Repent of the the worship of the false gods of the nations around you and cling to the Lord and the Lord alone. And when you fall short, repent again and cling again to the Lord. And when you fall short again, When you let go and don't cling again, repent and cling back to the Lord again. If, uh, verse 21, to which the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Having been rebuked by Joshua to not just say it, but to really mean it, they said, No, we will. And Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, we are witnesses. They had essentially stood on trial and, you know, raised their hand, put their other hand on the Bible and said, do you promise to this, that, or the other? And said, yes, we are witnesses against ourselves. And he said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you. And incline your heart, cling your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord, our God, 
we will serve. And His voice, we will obey. The Lord our God, we will serve. And His voice, we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant. Really, he renewed a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone, set it up there under the terebinth uh, that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. And so Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Verse 29 says, After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim north of the mountain of Gosh. And here's where we get to the important summary. Look at verse 31 of Joshua 24. With chapter 23 and 24 as our context, listen to what it says of Israel in the days after Joshua's death. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Can I read it again? Look at it. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. That's an amazing verse. They said they were going to do it, and they did it. And yet, even in that verse, it's just a, a crack, like a, 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 a crack, a fault in the line, just a small space for, for something to happen, for If they followed the Lord all the days of Joshua and those who outlived Joshua, what happened after that? It it describes Joshua's 20 years of leadership and and those that followed him, maybe 5, maybe 10, maybe 20, 30 years. But what, what about right after that? They were, that generation was faithful to serve the Lord, but as we'll see as we move into Judges, what they weren't faithful to do was to pass these things on to the next generation and to those who didn't know the Lord. I would love for that verse to be said of of my family, of this church, but what I want to be said even more than my family following the Lord during my lifetime is my family following the Lord much longer after I'm gone. And what I want for the fields, church, is not for you to be faithful while I have the privilege of being one of your pastors, but for your pastors and you as members to be faithful to the Lord much longer after I'm gone. And to obey and honor the Lord and to value His Word and to honor and glorify Him as the Lord leads you in the days ahead. It it, it probably won't be like it is with me as one of your pastors, but that is not only my desire, but all of your elders' desires. And I hope it's your desire, church member, that even if you are to move away from this place, that this church would continue steadfastly loving the Lord, serving the Lord. And so you would give your life to make that happen, funding it, serving it, teaching where you're given the opportunity, sharing the gospel, inviting more in, making disciples, going on mission trips, doing all of those things. Why? 
so that this healthy body of the Lord might continue steadfastly in the days ahead for the sake of the generation after us. I mean, this is important for us to consider as a, as a church and as members, but it, it's, it's important for us to consider for those of us who have kids, when we consider the next generation. And, and what about their friends and those they go to school with and those they play on sports teams with and play in the band with? And, and what, about, what about their kids? Is there going to be a healthy church in their day and age? Only if we stick to the ordinary means of grace and faithfulness to the Lord's Word. Only with the Lord's help. Only in submitting our lives, our, our church, uh, to the Lord. Well, I've already kind of opened it up for what might happen in Judges. And if you know your Bible well, you know what happens in Judges. Judges is a story of a cycle of Israel rebelling uh, and being saved by the Lord and the Lord raising up a deliverer and delivering the people of Israel from slavery and then walking in faithful obedience for a time during a leader's lifetime, but then when the leader dies, falling short again, going back into slavery, the Lord raising up another deliverer. In Judges chapter 1, again, if you're taking notes, just simply the second point here is that while in Joshua they knew the Lord and served Him, here in Judges 1 and 2, Israel did not know, and nor did they serve the Lord. Israel did not know the Lord and all that He had done, nor did they serve the Lord. In Judges chapter 1, um, what happens in the, the death of Joshua, after the death of Joshua, is that the people go back to their inheritance. And uh, they, they serve the Lord all their, uh, all their days uh, during the life of Joshua, but also in the years after Joshua. And they go back to do that work that the Lord had already begun. The Lord had already begun to drive out the nations before them, but there were still nations. There were still pockets. There were still cities that needed to be driven out so that the people could fully inherit all of the land that the Lord had given them to you. And that's what Judges 1 recounts, the people going back and beginning to take possession of their inheritance. And yet, throughout Judges chapter 1, like I said earlier, there's little cracks, little hints that, that they're not fully serving the Lord. And it has ramifications for the generation ahead. We see this in, in places like verse 19 of Judges 1. And the Lord was with Judah, and He took possession of the hill country, but... He could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. I'm sorry, what? Um, didn't, weren't they delivered out of the hand of Egypt who had hundreds and maybe thousands of chariots of iron that were demolished in the middle of the Red Sea? Key word there being they could not drive them out. Had they ultimately and fully looked to the Lord to drive them out, the Lord was able and the Lord was willing. The Lord had promised to do so if they would, but they were not fully obeying the Lord. Or look in verse 21 of Judges 1. After describing a time when the Lord drove, at the end of verse 20, the Lord drove out from it the three sons of Anak, but, in verse 21, the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. That defines the mixing of peoples, the mixing of gods, the mixing of the world with the people of God. And not only those times right there, 11 times 
in just that one chapter, the Lord repeats this phrase, they did not drive out. They could not drive out. They didn't drive out the people of the land like the Lord had commanded them time and time again in the book of Joshua. God had commanded them to go into the land and to drive the people out all the way unless they would repent and worship and serve your God. Destroy their idols. Destroy them. Why? Not, not because he was mean. Because he knew their heart. Because Israel had been chosen. God wanted to set apart Israel so that all the nations of the world would come to them and forsake their idols and their gods and worship the one true God to protect the people of Israel for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation after that. But they didn't do it over and over again. Eleven times the Lord repeats that they did not drive them out. So then in chapter 2 it says then, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim. The angel of the Lord, when it uses that specific phrase, not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it always uses it in such a way that it is a reference to the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. In fact, when we see this angel speak, he speaks like God spoke back in Judges chapter 24, 1 through 13. I, I, I. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he, this is the Son of God, the pre-incarnate Christ, the messenger of God for this moment in time, he says, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land and I that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Do you remember what they said they would do? Back over here. They said that they would obey his voice and serve him in Judges 24, 24. But here, Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, is saying that they have not obeyed his voice. What is this you have done? In verse 8. So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become, like was said earlier, thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of the place Bochim, which means weepers. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. This was literally a, a come to Jesus moment when Jesus made them aware of the fact that they had not been obeying his voice, which is why they hadn't been able to drive out the nations of the land. Then the writer of Judges, possibly Samuel, many years later, he writes, he, he summarizes what we have already read thus far this morning in verse 6, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the, the servant of the Lord. First time Joshua's called the servant of the Lord, like Moses was called the servant of the Lord, unlike the people of Israel were not serving the, the Lord at that time. He died at the age of 110, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Harris, or Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north 
the mountain of Gash, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Now look here. In the middle of verse 10, here's the other verse I need us to look at. And we're talking about two different generations here. This is the verse that describes the, this generation after Joshua and those elders and leaders. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Verse 11, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals, served false gods. One Maybe two generations. They go from serving the Lord and obeying His voice to not listening as closely, not clinging as tightly, allowing a little bit in here from the other nations, a little bit in there from the other nations. And lo and behold, it actually causes the entire next generation to not even know the Lord. And to not even know what the Lord had done in the past. Which tells us that that generation wasn't faithful to tell and to teach all that the Lord had, had done. To teach who the Lord was. The parents were not faithful to raise their children in the discipline and nurture of the Lord. They weren't faithful to sit with them, lie with them, walk with them, as Deuteronomy 6 told them to do, to tell them who the Lord is and all that He had done. They weren't faithful to discipline them when they were wanting to bring in aspects of the world into their home, things like that. Just the, those little cracks, those little fault lines, those little opportunities for the world to creep in. They allowed the gods of the world, they allowed the ways of the world to creep in, and it caused the entire nation, one generation later, to not know the Lord, to not even know the, the work of the Lord, much less... They weren't serving the Lord. They were serving Baals, idols, false gods of the world and the nations that were surrounding them at that time. Lord, let that not be so of our families and our homes. Let that not be said of our church, the Fields Church specifically. That another generation, because we've allowed a fault line here, a crack here, and things to slide in uh, one week, one month, one year, that the next generation, 10 years from now, the Fields Church wouldn't be a light set up, a, a, a city on a hill, a light shining in the darkness. You know, it would be very easy and, and wrongly, as some do, to, to take this passage and then to dump it on top of America and say, oh, see, this is what's gone wrong with America. See, America needs to repent. America needs to get this right. America, you know, we were founded on the right things, and now we've, gone, we, we've allowed things in, and we need to get those things out, and we need to not mix with the nations anymore, this side or the other. That would be a wholly wrong misunderstanding of this text. The, the, the context of this text is talking about the people of God. Who are the people of God when we fast forward a thousand years into the New Testament? Not America. The church. This is important for us as the church to get right so that we look like we were chosen to look like a long time ago. Distinct, set apart, different from the rest of the world. 
a true city on a hill, a light shining in the darkness. America's not called to be a light shining in the darkness. The church is. And America's not promised forever, but the church is. The gates of hell will not prevail, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. This is important not for America first, the church first. For us who call ourselves Christians, little, little Christs, especially those of us who are members here at the Fields Church. When we're starting this new year, thinking about New Year's resolu- resolutions, I want to draw us back to the regular, ordinary means of grace. Regular, simple habits, those clear things that God has called us to. Obedience in our life. So that another generation might know the Lord because of our faithfulness to the Lord. That the next generation would know the Lord because we have bowed our knees to the Lord and asked for His help and asked Him to move and to deliver us and and help us and provide for us and protect us. That another generation would see moms and dads teaching them the ways of God and who God is and following them, disciplining them even when they need it to be able to fear the Lord. That another generation would be raised up when I'm gone, when these elders are gone, when you may be gone and move away and go the way of the earth, as it says of Joshua, that faithfulness would continue that we would pass these things on. And they don't come from one, simply, one big extravagant move of God. Israel had that. They had many, many of those. The reason it didn't continue was not because the Lord didn't have power anymore. It's because the people weren't faithful to the ordinary means of God's grace. And so what are the cracks? What are the fault lines that we have allowed into our lives at at different times? What are the the ways in which we might allow the, the world to creep in? How are we going to protect ourselves from those things? Maybe it's contentment. Contentment with the life that you've been given right here, right now, you don't want to sacrifice what you've been given. You're happy where you're at. You're content with our church being just like this. Just this size, you know everyone. It's easy, it's simple. I kind of know the routine. Maybe it's laziness. You're not willing to discipline yourself and and through laziness is is going to open up an opportunity for other things to, to creep in. Maybe it's pride. Maybe our pride and lack of humility is, is going to think ourselves better than others in the days, the weeks, the year, the years and decades ahead. And we'll silo ourselves off. And maybe we, want, we think we deserve all that we've been given. And so we want to hold on to it rather than sharing it freely with those who need it. The next generation is watching. Whether that be the kids in these chairs all around here, uh, watching in church, watching at home, or whether that other generation are the people of this YMCA or the people of our community looking in. They're, they're looking They're watching. And what are they going to see? Are they going to see a a group of people who call themselves Christians but look nothing like Christ and are unwilling to do the things that Christ himself devoted himself to? Prayer, fasting, a knowledge of the word, a, a reciting of the word of God, an obedience to the word of God? What are they going to see when they look at you, Christian? What are they going to see when they look at you, mom and dad? 
What are they going to see when they look at the Fields Church? When the YMCA looks at the Fields Church? When the staff looks at the Fields Church? When, when these members come through these doors, when our meetings are crossing paths, what are they going to see? A generous, hospitable, kind, welcoming, helpful people? Or a people who only have time for ourselves? Only who want to simply talk to ourselves? What are the nations going to see? A, a group of people who sacrifice their American income to be able to fund the needs of the world around us? To be able to fund the missionaries who are willing to go to them? What are, what are they going to see when they look at us? May they see a church that knows the Lord and is humbled by the thought, the sound, and the sight of the Lord and, and His actions. And because of that, they serve the Lord. That's what Israel did for a time. And yet they allowed, they didn't cling to the Lord in every form and fashion. And they allowed the ways of the world, the ways of the other nations to creep in. Christian, church, this is a day, it's, it's, it's not a special day, it's just an opportunity for us to consider whom are we clinging to? Are we clinging to the Lord or are we clinging to another, another person who is unworthy of our clinging or another thing that's for sure unworthy of our clinging? Whom are we serving? And we could probably all go back on 2021 and think of plenty of, plenty of moments when we didn't cling well to the Lord. Praise the Lord that He's brought those to our awareness. Let us repent, confess, and turn and cling again to the Lord. And let us strive in those regular, ordinary means of grace today. I'm talking when we're done, even when I'm done praying, we would worship rightly well. We would leave this place well. We would drive well. We would eat and drink to the glory of God. We would Sabbath, excuse me, Sabbath well this afternoon. We would read well. We would watch well. We would post well. We would scroll well. We would do all that we do according to what He has said. Uh, and submit everything that we do at any moment, at any time, for Him to make us aware that we're not doing it, as He said, so that others might know Him, so that our kids might know Him, so that the lost might be saved. Let's pray. Father, I humbly bow before You, confessing that my life and our church is not perfect. We have plenty of cracks and fault lines in our life where we have allowed the ways of the world to creep in. Where we have not been faithful to the ordinary, regular means of grace. That we have not been faithful to the clear, abundantly clear commands in your word as individuals or as a church. And God, I pray that you would forgive us of those things. There is no forgiveness where there is no repentance or confession. So Lord, we repent corporately, but may we repent individually and confess, not just generically, but specifically with one another. Because your word says you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness for those who repent and confess. God, let us strive in the strength of the given Holy Spirit this day, this year, 
to walk in faithful, faith-filled obedience. God, may we spend time with you, desire to spend time with you. May you break old habits where we spend more time in other places with other people than we spend with you. May you help give us the strength to discipline ourselves in the ways of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, would you guide us and direct us? May we see your example, your perfect example, enough, sufficient for us in our life. Lord, may your word be our guide, your wisdom that was before the foundations of the earth be all we need. God, we want this for your honor and glory first and foremost, but for others' salvation, our kids, our friends, our coworkers, those whom have yet to be born yet even for our city, for our, our region, our nation, our world. Lord, let us play our small part in being faithfully obedient to you, faithful to worship you, to serve and to obey your voice all of our days, including teaching those after us and around us to who you are and what you've done so that they too might serve and obey you as well. God, help us to be fruitful and multiply, to make disciples of all nations. We love you. We trust you. And we praise you for who you are and all you've done. Thank you for this moment and this time as a church in this year. God, may we look back on this moment and be thankful for your revelation to us in your word by your spirit. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.